of the Tony Parks Podcast. Thanks so much for being with us here today. We always appreciate you tuning in. Always appreciate you reacting to and interacting as well. Follow me in all forms of social media at Tony Parks 801. And you can also follow us on the Tony Parks Podcast right here at the Utah Podcast Network. Email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. Uh, a lot of people hate January. It's not necessarily the most exciting month, right? The holidays are all over. Everybody's going back to school. Everybody's going back to work, getting used to the you know week-to-week grind and things like that. Um, certainly during COVID, things have, have had a damper on them for a while now. But January, just, it's tough. Like, you know, December feels like a beautiful winter wonderland and there's lights and it's a festive sort of feel. January just feels dreary and dark and dead. And, uh, well, you know, for me, I've always liked January. Now, I understand why most people don't like January. I love January. Uh, NFL wildcard weekend and the divisional round and then the conference championships. And then for most of my life, the Super Bowl was uh, in January as well. And that's obviously changed. But for looking at this past NFL wildcard weekend, it was fun. And I love the NFL playoffs. I think I love it maybe more than anything else. Um, I didn't care for seven teams in each conference. Um, but having three playoff games on Saturday and Sunday, that was awesome. Can't say I was disappointed there. And the games were good for the most part. Um, some people were very down on them. I, I thought it was it was entertaining, and I was on the edge of my seat, and except for one game, and that was my Bears completely showing why they were a sham from the start of the year. Uh, the Buffalo Indy game was terrific, and I, I still don't know how they botched the fumble call at the end of the game, but I'm glad it had no impact on the finish. Um, I'm very sad for Zach Moss, by the way, and I really wish that, you know, he would have been able to continue, and that that was terrible to see. Uh, Baltimore showed some real guts. The stack box and the come-from-behind victory at Tennessee, that was fun. Uh, the Rams' defense was stellar at Seattle. Uh, Seattle did have a, a very poor finish to the season, there's no doubt, but I, I it was cool watching the Rams, who were in the lead, and you had the feeling the Rams' defense was going to have to be spectacular in the second half, and they were. I mean, they were tremendous, so it was cool to see the way they won that game. Uh, the Bucks were able to hold off, uh, you know, the heroic efforts of a backup quarterback from Washington. Um, it, it, you wanted maybe a little more of the fireworks and drama, but the games at least, for the most part, still had you glued into what was happening. Like, I didn't want to turn it off except the Bears game. But the performance that stood out to me the most, and even though this was a blowout, I still watched it the whole time in amazement, was the Cleveland Browns' domination of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I don't think the the game was as close as the score indicated. And I thought it was very fitting how that game ended. And that was with Sione Takitaki getting the interception to put the lid on it. And and I'll talk about Takitaki here in a second because what the Browns just did, I thought was one of the greatest postseason wins in NFL history by any team. By any team, especially when you factor in everything that goes into it. And when I watched the way it ended, I'm looking at Sene Takitaki and I'm saying, if you're going to go from being an embarrassment, as the Browns were, and the punchline of a joke, which the Browns were, and a total afterthought, to then becoming a winner someday that expects to do something, you're going to need dudes like that guy. And I'll tell you why. Five years ago, 
I'm, uh, uh, I go to a football game, Michigan football game, and there's no one I love to go watch a football game with more than my mom. She's crazy smart when it comes to the game. She's the one who taught me the game from a very young age uh, when it was just uh, us two for years. For her and I, were, it was just us two for many years. And my mom was working a lot of waitressing and bartending jobs, and she worked really late on Friday nights, and, and then she would uh, have to work late again on Saturdays. And so I would always take care of myself most mornings, but especially, you know, Saturday mornings. And I'd stay quiet, you know, while she slept in, and and then she'd get up and join me in the living room when I was, like, watching some TV. And so many different times, maybe it was some cartoons or something, but Michigan football would be the first game that was on. And she taught me the game while watching Michigan football. And they had the coolest fight song and the coolest helmet, and they were running around jumping on each other with all kinds of celebration and it was really something I got excited about and looked forward to because I was learning so much and it was just fun to follow and so my family didn't have a history of people attending college like none at all really in in a lot of different areas so there was no connection to Rutgers or Stanford or Cal or Utah or BYU or anything like that so our team became the Michigan Wolverines our biggest rival was actually Notre Dame. Um, I didn't like Ohio State, but I also didn't grow up in the Midwest, so it's not like I felt the rivalry the same way everyone else did out there. So in 2015, five years ago, I get the chance to take her to a game in Ann Arbor. Uh, I have a crazy busy schedule, so does she. Uh, the only game we got a chance to go to was on September 26th. She flew Friday afternoon. I took the red eye after a high school football game on KJAZ. We met at 9 a.m., uh, I was uh, I should have been tired, but I was just adrenaline flowing, ready for the game. Noon kickoff, uh, went right to the stadium, had her on the field before the game, got to see the M fanfare, all the other fun festivities. She was in heaven. The team they just happened to be playing that day was BYU. Now, BYU fans know exactly how that day went. I don't need to tell you the story, but yeah, punted a million times, barely got over 100 yards. They were down 31 nothing at halftime, and it was over, and... 31 nothing was the final score. It was a brutal day, and I don't want to make you relive that, but, but there's a point that I'm trying to make here. I remember watching the game from the third row on the 35-yard line. On another random note, by the way, Thurl Bailey is two rows in front of us on the very front row. His son, Brendan, had a campus visit with the basketball team, and John Beeline was sitting to my right on the other side of the aisle. Anyway, sorry. It just randomly came to my mind. While I'm watching the game and was happy my team was winning, my mom and I couldn't stop talking about the fire, the passion, and the relentless effort of one guy on BYU's team. And that was Sione Takitaki. Because it was, it, you couldn't help but to know, especially being live, being right there, you could see it. There was one play in particular, is when Jake Rudock takes a snap in the red zone, couldn't find anyone open, ran to the left corner of the end zone. He scores on the play, but Taki Taki was the guy that runs full speed towards the goal line, smashes into a Michigan receiver who was blocking on the play, and landed a brutally physical hit. I mean, just hammers into him. And that play puts Michigan up 28-0. And if he gives up on that play, no one notices. No one cares. It wasn't going to make a difference. BYU had no chance of coming back. But with Sione Taki talking, it wasn't just that play. There were many other plays. 
It didn't matter what the score was or how bad his team was playing overall. It didn't matter that several guys around him that day flat didn't bring it. I mean, I don't know what happened with that team. Everything going around, uh, everything going on around Sienna, I should say, it never changed how he was playing. On a day that BYU had like this all-time no-show, they showed a few guys had some heart that was as big of a lion. Nobody's heart was bigger than his. Nobody's. So he's on the team then. He was also on the team that was getting ready for the 2018 season. I think the 18 season was very important for BYU football. The Cougars are coming off of the worst season in my lifetime. They were 4-9. and nine. They lost to UMass. They had to let go of their offensive coordinator, who was the hero for so many BYU fans. And it was a really tough time for the fan base, as well as the program. When the 17 season ended, this was a guy that I interviewed, and he made no excuses, pulled no punches. Uh, when it came to telling the truth, he told the flat, blunt truth and, did, and made no apologies. Um, and he did it with passion, and he did it with positivity going forward. He was okay to tell the very uncomfortable truth that I think a number of media members and fans were just afraid to say. He was okay to address every elephant in every room, didn't care. And I remember during the 17th season, hearing the amount of excuses that were being given. Everything from missionary age change, honor code, Bronco Mendenhall being blamed for leaving this team in a horrible situation, even though he left with the number one recruiting class in the non-Power 5. He recruited more four-star players than any other non-Power 5 program by far in the time that he was there. And it was uncomfortable. Because the real reason that BYU had become one of the worst FBS teams in the country immediately in one year was because they were poorly coached and they were operating very poorly. They had no one to blame but themselves. They had the 9-4 and four year with Taysom and Jamal Williams in 16. And that was Kalani's first year. And what was difficult was leadership was there in place, but they had an offense coordinator and many members of that staff that just were not where they needed to be to help this team be good. And nobody was more honest about the players, about the team, about the personal accountability that was needed, and about what it was going to take to turn things around than Sione Takitaki. He was blunt honest. He also didn't let the situation tamper down his enthusiasm, right? Like he was still excited to, for spring ball and, and for everything during the offseason. And he wanted to do whatever it takes to help his team get better every single day. Sione Taki Taki did whatever it takes to be the best player for his team, even if he wasn't the best player on his team. And even if he was, he would do what it takes to be the best player for his team, as Riley Jensen talks about a lot of times. So sometimes people get this idea that that direct honesty is a negative thing. But if you take off the mask of comfortable excuses, it's actually a very positive thing. Gives the team direction from a leadership position. What Siane was saying was very much the same message from Kalani Satake, who was uh, unbelievable in the way he interacted and was straight honest about everything. Accountability, honesty, that was one of the biggest seeds planted that helped BYU become what they've become. So if you're going to have a team that's going to show major changes over time and show that they can be much better than what they have been showing, you have to have players like this. That they act like this when things are just dark, down, horrible. And I hear all the time, 
you know, in sports. You know, success breeds confidence. If they could just win this game, it would do so much for the program. People do it in life. If I could just land this job, if we could just get this house, if we just get married, I've, I've heard people say that. But honestly, it goes the other way around. Culture builds confidence. And it takes really mentally and emotionally tough people to build that culture with the right attitude when things are just not going well. And it's really hard to find guys that love what they do no matter what else is going on around them in terms of results. Media coverage, fan reaction. Sione Takitaki was never affected by that in terms of what it meant he was going to give. In, in another example locally, you know, for the Jazz, that guy was Rudy Gobert. Things weren't going well for the Jazz. Lost nine in a row that uh, first year of Quinn Snyder in the early part of the season. And even in those losses, Rudy handled everything, character, focus, belief, an unquenchable work ethic, a desire to be the best. He was still positive. Um, and he didn't change anything he was doing in terms of what he could give to the team, even with some negative things going on around him. Even though they were losing at an alarming rate, uh, he could feel like they were starting to garner something great that they could run with going forward. And the Jazz felt like they were starting to get a defensive identity. They felt like uh, they were starting to get an identity overall. So while the results weren't there, they didn't need that to give them the confidence to win. They were getting confidence with the culture that they were building. And you saw what happened later that year. They won something like 16 out of 23 games. They were one of the five best defensive teams in the league. And you could start to feel like Quinn Snyder, Rudy Gobert, Gordon Hayward, that they had something. They didn't just start getting confidence after they won 16 out of 23. They had it before then. So back to Taki Taki, it's no surprise that he was a part of the BYU team in 2018 that started to show signs as a program that had the capability of being a really good team. Remember, they looked great against Arizona in the desert. They pulled off uh, the huge upset win against Wisconsin. Um, they were up 20 and in position to beat a very good Utah team. You know, they, they weren't something elite that year by any means. You know, they were breaking in a true freshman midway through the season. They had some tough losses. But they went from being one of the 10 worst FBS teams to looking like a team that might have a future that fans could get behind. So while that 18 team doesn't go down as one of the best in BYU history, there were guys that were critical to shifting the mindset and the culture of the program. Taki Taki is as important as any of those guys. I still believe his impact on that group in 18 Deserves a lot of credit for what happened in 20. It has to start somewhere. That kind of stuff carries on. And this just jumped to my mind on a totally separate note. One of the other players that I've witnessed with that kind of thing, helping with results, uh, was Brady Papinga with the 0-4 team that really struggled. He was that kind of guy, like talky talky. He was that kind of guy. His toughness and attitude, no matter what the situation was, it was really refreshing. And I still think he had an influence on what happened with the Cougars in their 05 improvement and then the 06 turnaround. I know he wasn't on that team, just like Taki Taki wasn't on the BYU team in 2020, but I believe that impact helped guide them to what was a critical year in helping them eventually experience an 11-1 season. Now, go look at the Cleveland Browns. When he was drafted that, uh, by that team, 
They were coming off of what three losing seasons, and two of them were one and fifteen and zero and sixteen. Horrible. Two years later, they're winning a playoff game for the first time in eighteen years. They're without some of their key coaches because of COVID-related issues, and they didn't just win the game; they dominated. Really, they they really did from start to finish. And I thought the victory for the Browns was one of the best playoff wins in the history of the NFL when you look at all the different things that they were facing. To not just come out on top, to smash them is crazy. And and obviously for Browns fans, they're happy that they beat Pittsburgh, a team they've always had to take the backseat to for so many years. So you have to look at what carried them through with all that adversity, right? It's culture. And you have to look at the kind of trust those players had in each other and in the staff to pull something off like that. It was the first time they'd scored 40-plus points in a playoff game since, like, 1954. Now, I know Sione isn't alone in helping turn things around for the Browns. Other players have had that, that kind of impact. It took a big group of guys who truly believe that they have a 12-5 and team and a 12-5 and kind of team before the year ever even started before they ever reached those things. And it's no surprise that Sione was one of those guys that's been on that team to help them reach these heights. It's no surprise he's been able to impact this team so positively, and it's very fitting that he was the guy that intercepted the pass to seal the deal when Pittsburgh was down to their last breath. I don't know if Sione Takitaki is going to make the Pro Bowls. I don't know if he's going to have all the all-pro mentions and things like that in his career. I don't know if he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I have no idea how many playoff games he's going to win. But I do know that anytime things are going well or if they're not going so well, whether you're winning or losing 31 nothing, there's no one you want in your corner more than Sione Takitaki. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love talking some football and love having the chance to share uh, some of those thoughts about Sione. Uh, now, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the podcast, so I love all that great feedback, good and bad. Reach out with an email, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on all forms of social media at TonyParks801. And you can hear us, whether it be on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and more. And as always, catch us right here on the Utah Podcast Network.